It's the Basketball Hall of Fame's Legends Podcast. I'm Kyle Belanger. Joining me today is a 2012 Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame enshrinee, a man who spent 21 years as an NCAA official. He worked six NCAA National Championship games, a record, 10 Final Fours, two Olympics, and was the first national coordinator of officials. In addition, as if that wasn't impressive enough, he also spent three years as a minor league baseball player in the Cincinnati Reds organization. He is the inimitable Dr. Hank Nichols. Hank, thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Kyle. Um, Hank, I want to start sort of thinking about your background. Uh, like so many of the great officials, you had um, a, a full life before you got into the game as an official, um, uh, namely two years in the Marines, three years as a minor league baseball player. Um, you had uh, accomplished a Ph.D. And so I'm wondering, all these years later, looking back, how important was it to have that real world experience to bring to the court so that the game was maybe a little slower to watch than you for you than it would be someone who was 20 years old, wet behind the ears, coming onto the court for the first time? Well, Kyle, it's, it's anybody's life's a combination and an accumulation of experiences. And I played a lot of basketball in high school. And then I was on the Villanova freshman basketball team in the days when freshmen were ineligible for varsity play. And then after I graduated from Villanova and uh, finished in the Marine Corps, I played a lot of basketball around Western New York and independently. And my Marine Corps experience, my baseball experience, and then all this playing that I did uh, gave me a feel for basketball. Uh, it gave me a feel for how the game should be played. It gave me a feel about the discipline I got from the Marine Corps to be uh, focused and concentrate on your duties. And it just went from there. It's so remarkable because it does go from there. And it's no surprise that your college basketball roots took shape. You mentioned Villanova. And then, of course, when you're earning your Ph.D. at Duke, another one of the incredible basketball meccas in our nation. Um, can you talk about 1969, the decision that you make to begin refereeing those uh, freshman ACC games? What was the motivation? Was it a matter of trying to get back into the game that you loved so much? Well, I had I had started refereeing uh, in high school games uh, while I was still in Niagara Falls uh, teaching school and coaching. And when I decided to go to Duke to uh, do my Ph.D., uh, Hubie Brown happened to be the assistant coach at Duke at the time. And Hubie, of course, was a Niagara basketball player who I knew casually. As a, I was younger than him, but I knew him casually as a player at Niagara that's the team we used to follow, obviously, living in Niagara Falls. So when I went to Duke, I'd already uh, refereed freshman college games in Western New York, and I uh, wanted to continue it, and I obviously wanted to not let it fly by me while I was going to school at Duke. So I called Hubie Brown up and asked him who were the assigners for the high school games. Uh, I told him my background. I was refereeing college games in Western New York, but I, I had to give that up while I went to Duke, and he uh, immediately gave me some names of the high school assigners, and then he asked me, well, what about the ACC? 
And I said, well, that'd be all right, too. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't think that, uh, you know, that would work. And he, make a long story short, he assigned me a scrimmage with Jacksonville and Duke and had the supervisor of officials come to the game. <laughs> and uh, Jacksonville at the time was a national power. They had uh, seven-foot, uh, whatever he was, uh, Pembroke Burroughs and uh, Artist Gilmore. They had a wonderful team, and it was a, uh, a team that I, of a caliber that I've never refereed before that time. Fortunately, I didn't follow it up too much. And uh, the supervisor gave me freshman games in the ACC uh, on the spot after the game. So that's how I started it. And then five years later, you think about those, you know, those Pembroke and artists teams. Five years later, in 1974, you worked a game uh, that you still tout as one of the most impressive games of your career. The ACC championship game between NC State and Maryland. That game, of course, uh, David Thompson uh, just absolutely put on a show. Still one of the great performances in college basketball. Um, What was it uh, about that game and about David Thompson specifically that stuck with you? Well... First of all, the game was uh, full of All-Americans and, and uh, uh, legends of the game with uh, Len Elmore, John Lucas, and, and of course, David Thompson and a few others. And I was just happy and nervous to be able to be assigned that game. And I shouldn't have been because they were so good that me and, the, and my partner that refereed that game, we just got out of the way <laughs> and let that game unfold. And it was a, a magnificent performance by both teams, an overtime game. Uh, the thing I remember that was really kind of sad was that John Lucas, the best foul shooter in the country, missed a free throw that would have won the game in regulation. So we just watched them play, and when we had to blow the whistle, we did. We didn't have to blow it too much that night. And uh, it was a thrill to be there in the ACC final for the first time. And it was a really thrilling experience for those players on the court. That was, of course, of course, the, the first of 13 consecutive years that you worked the NCAA tournament. Let me ask you, getting back to something that you were just talking about, getting out of the way, is that is that the official's dream, to, to work a game that you can tell early on is going to have rhythm, is going to have flow? And also, sidebar to that, can you tell early on if, if two teams are just going to be good dancing partners? Uh, sometimes you can. Uh, sometimes games change uh, as they as they develop from uh, maybe uh, a nice smooth game to what we used to call a slugfest, where you really had to get in, get in there with your whistle and start to straighten things out. But normally, once you get a game like that, similar to that, and they start playing like that, you just don't want to mess it up by doing something that will destroy that rhythm when you don't have to. So you don't go looking for things to blow the whistle. You just wait for the, the things to happen. And then when it when it's important enough that you're supposed to blow a whistle, then you do it. But, uh, yeah, you could feel, the, uh, to answer your question, you can feel the rhythm when it when it's there. And yet you really don't want to interrupt it as an official. You also could feel when it's out of rhythm, and then you have to uh, get after it with, uh, with a lot of whistles. Uh, I used to... Uh, teach referees uh, years ago with camps, and I, I, I uh, related the game like an accordion player, where he has a soft spot in the middle where all the notes work really good, 
and the music comes out nice and smooth and beautiful. But then sometimes if he puts the or the uh, the uh, instrument too wide with his hands, it gets sour, and he has to bring it back to the middle. And if you go too far in the middle, then it gets sour because it's too tight. So I always re related to new officials that it was like an accordion player. You let it go out and in and out and in, and you find the spot that fits that tune, that song, and let it play. That's brilliant. It's brilliant. Uh, and, and so in 1983, you had a charmed postseason of your own. Most people, of course, remember the NCAA title game that year as one of the best ever. But that wasn't the only championship game you officiated in 1983. That postseason, amazingly, you also worked the NIT championship game. Uh, looking back, w was that experience more exhilarating or, or exhausting? Or was it sort of a 50-50 combination of both? And, and how did that come about? Well, in those days, the NIT final was played several days before the uh, the NCAA final, just the way it is now. And there was no restriction for an NCAA official to not referee uh, several days before the, uh, the final four. So uh, uh, when I got the assignment to do the NIT final, it certainly was within time parameters that I could go to New York and do that game, and then two days later... Uh, you get to uh, the Final Four, and uh, the NIT was always a goal of officials, as well as the NCAA, especially back in the 80s when it had a little more luster to it from an official standpoint and from a fan standpoint than it does now because the NCAA was still growing to become the behemoth that it is now. And so the NIT Final was a real big-time goal for an official to do or just referee in, in New Madison Square Garden with all the tradition and everything else. So uh, I didn't think too much about the, the Final Four because uh, the NIT was a big deal to me and, and, and the other referees that were there. Now, your six national championship games included some doozies and one that we've some that we've already talked about. Um, it also includes, you know, Larry versus Magic and so many more. What's the one that you wish people would 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 ask you more about? Was there one that just doesn't get enough attention? Yes, I do. I really yeah, that's a great question, Kyle. The uh, the semifinal in nineteen eighty three between Louisville and uh, Houston. Oh yeah, was just a magnificent game. It was the Doctors of Dunk versus Five Slamma Jamma. And uh, I've never seen anything like that game before or since. They had such talent on that court. Guys were flying around and dunking. It was almost like you needed a bomb shelter when you were under the basket to get out of the way of those dunks. That game was just a magnificent up-and-down, high-flying, full-of-talent, wonderful game. I still get chills watching watching tape of that all these years later. I, I absolutely do. Which which leads me to my next question is, with the advancement of the game now, I've I've heard you speak before about the way that you know with as players get bigger and stronger and faster, the officials are really starting to work at blinding speeds. Can you give those of us like like me who will never be on the court with them um, a sense of just what the speed of the game, how the speed of the game dictates the officials' conditioning? Oh, well, you know, it's obvious that uh, today's game is faster, as you mentioned. Uh, you you can't you don't and you don't see any referees anymore. Uh, when you had two men, it was hard. 
because you had a lot of blind spots. But then the game got moving faster and bigger and stronger, as you mentioned, and we went to three officials. That really saved the officials from a physical standpoint because we don't have to go 90 feet usually. We only have to go half the court with three men. We never had to go from one end all the way down to the other, to the next power line. Uh, we were always in a position with the three-man officiating to to get there in half the time that it took the uh, the, the players to get there. Right. So that did help. But still, with that being said, now you have to be in shape better than you ever were to referee college basketball. And I, I'm sure I'm it's certain for the pros. Yeah. And I think if anyone ever looks at officials now for any reason or other physically, you don't see any that are overweight. You used to see that in the old days. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, it, it's mandatory that you be able to stay with the play. Uh, the three-man officiating, as I mentioned, helps you get to the spot, but you still have to be in shape. But you got to hit there sooner now. Finally, Dr. Nichols, what does it mean for you to be working with the Basketball Hall of Fame at this stage in your life? I don't think I can put a uh, an adjective on it. It's it's so thrilling to, first of all, to, to be an official in the Basketball Hall of Fame, especially a college official, is uh, probably, uh, well, I can't say it's the biggest thrill of my wife because I got married and I had four kids, but it's next in line, and the thrills of my life is to be a member of the Hall of Fame to start with. I consider it a giant upset that uh, college basketball officials in this day and age can get in there. And I, I was so thrilled and honored. That, uh, everybody in Niagara Falls was at the thing. Uh, my my in-laws, my kids, my aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody, they, uh, they thought it was so special as I did. Now, since then, to be part of the Hall of Fame activities, uh, dinners at the Final Four, uh, enshrinement activities that uh, people I know or maybe refereed get in. Uh, it's an ongoing thrill, Kyle. That's the best I can put it, to be part of the whole Hall of Fame enterprise. Well, Dr. Hank Nichols, a 2012 Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame enshrinee, 21 years as an NCAA official, six national championship game, 10 Final Fours, two Olympics, three years as a minor league baseball player, and the first ever national coordinator of officials. It has been a true joy to spend this time with you. Thank you so much. Uh, You're you're certainly welcome. I, I enjoyed talking with you, Kyle.